everybody. Good to see you here this morning. We've also got uh, David Scott and Rebecca with us this morning. Praise the Lord. So uh, we'll hear more from them later. They've agreed to come and share their adventure and their walk with God during this difficult time that they went through, and we're grateful to hear their testimony this morning, so I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody, to worship this morning and online. We're glad that you've joined us. We're here to celebrate the resurrection life that we have in Jesus Christ and the assurance of our salvation and to trust the Lord with our very lives in and in every day. So we're grateful for the Lord and thankful for each other and for the company that God has provided called the church, the body that gathered together for the glory of God. And as others come in, make sure they feel right at home and very, very welcome. We'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a beautiful spring you've given us. And Lord God, it is beautiful to see David's smiling face and Rebecca's this morning. What a wonderful, wonderful answer to prayer. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, God, from the bottom of our hearts for life and for healing and for the eternal security we have through faith in your wonderful grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we can come to your house today to give you worship and praise and service for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Pregnant pause, pregnant pause. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. Um, we need your voices today. I've got a cold, so I'm not going to be singing, but you are going to be singing, so let's, let me hear it. Help nice us, help us. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Worship the King of glory us above And gratefully sing His wonderful love Our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days A billion in splendor and girded with praise O oh, tell of His might, O oh, sing of His grace Whose robe is the light and canopy space Chariots of wrath, a deep thunder cloud soar, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. You alone are the matchless king, to you alone be all majesty. Your glories and wonders, what tongues can recite? You breathe in the How tender, how firm to the end Our maker, defender, redeemer and friend You alone are the matchless king To you alone be all majesty Your glories and wonders what tongue can recite You breathe in the above and gratefully sing his wonderful love our shield and defender the ancient of days pavilion in splendor and girded with praise 
join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, through your grace, Lord God, and faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, who was raised from the grave, Lord God, that we are guaranteed not only the forgiveness of our sins, that we have the assurance of our salvation. We have eternal life that we're already seated in the heavens that's so real that symbolically, Lord God, we know that we're already there. But literally, when the day comes, we will be there. And so, God, we thank you that your promises, your work, your achievements for us on our behalf keep us humble and filled with your love, mercy, and grace, that we owe you everything. The breath that we take today is a breath you gave us, life. And Lord God, we thank you that even though these bodies do wear out, and until Christ returns, Lord God, we know that the day will come when our bodies won't work anymore. But you tell us, Father, that we will be with you in paradise through faith in Christ. We thank you, God, that a resurrection will come and a new body fit for a new heaven and a new earth will come, guaranteed the assurance of our total salvation, a wonderful work that you and you alone have done. Lord God, you are truly worthy of our worship and our praise, our entire life's devotion. We owe you everything. And out of love that your spirit has poured into our hearts, we give you glory and service. Our bodies laid out before you, Lord, for your work and your service, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A couple of quick uh, announcements. Let's have Dave and Rebecca come on up now. And, and uh, as they're coming on up, there's a three-year-old that's missing in Hubbard. And uh, Ray Lynn is her name. So pray for Ray Lynn that they find her. Um, and also Mother's Day is this coming Sunday. And Sharon Gard and Larry Weaver, keep them in our prayers as they battle the cancers that they have. And also Presbytery is coming. If you're not familiar with Presbyterian stuff, Presbytery is a collection of Presbyterian churches in the EPC from Alaska, Washington, Oregon, Northern California, and Idaho, and there'll be 80, 90 people here, and we've, we've uh, got a lot to do, and so keep Presbytery in your prayers. Now, before we turn you guys loose, I'd like us to read the Apostles' Creed together, and then you'll be up for sharing with us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, I'd like the, the youth to stay because I think what these two have to share with us is very precious, and it'd be good for everybody to hear. Can I turn that on for you? Is it on? First of all, I want to say thank you for all your prayers and 
everything that the church has done for us, the ladies that gave me the lap quilt and everything. I uh, faced death. I wind up in the hospital in a coma, and what they said I had was a Galeans Beret, very rare virus that hit me, paralyzed my entire body. I went into a coma. Yes, when you're in a coma, you can hear everything everybody's saying, and you can feel everything that they're doing to you. So I misinterpreted what my wife was saying to the doctor talking about me living on a ventilator and I'm not going to live on a ventilator. I'm not going to be a vegetable. And I'm sitting there praying, Lord, please don't let them pull the plug. I'm still alive. That's not what she was saying. They were talking about the quality of life that I can recover from this. The doctors have never seen anybody go down so fast and I shouldn't be on my feet yet. It is truly a miracle of God. They've never seen anybody recover the way I've recovered. And all I can say is, if it wasn't for the prayers that everybody's been doing, I don't think I'd be standing here today. And so I'm truly thankful for everybody. So, When I was sitting, when this happened, and I was sitting in the emergency room, and everything went to absolute crisis really fast. I was sitting there, and the Lord had put like a, a mantle of peace over me. So I wasn't panicked or anxious in any way. I was just sitting there back in the corner while they did what they did. And I was thinking about all the people in the Bible that have gone through traumatic crisis situations and that God was still in control of it. And so that's what I was thinking what is it and how do you want me to respond, Lord? And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to believe God's still in control, even though it looks like everything's out of control. He's our source. You know, it's not your job and everything else. It's absolutely God who's your source. And that he is the comforter as well as the caretaker. And he was just with me through it all, you know, so I didn't have that anxious, panicky feeling, even though life was absolutely in crisis. So I'm very thankful for that, but I, I wanted to do what the Lord wanted me to do, and I wanted to respond like the Lord wanted me to respond instead of just taking it all on myself. So that's all I have to say, is that I learned that, hey, even in the valley, God is still in control. And I'm very thankful for that, and I'm thankful my husband is alive and well. I will say one thing. When I was laying there, footprints in the sand was in my mind over and over again. I knew he carried me. Mm -hmm. Why, don't you, why don't you wait to say it? We'll give God thanks. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, for David and Rebecca and for their testimony with us this morning. Lord God, they went through some incredibly deep waters. And Lord God, there were times where David's life held by just a hair's breadth. But we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit responded. And here we are today seeing and hearing a testimony of your miracle. Not only healing, Lord God, but as Rebecca said, comfort and strength and a focus on you through all of it through all the emotional 
difficulties and all the stresses. God, we are so grateful as your people to come to you today and say thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And we give you all the praise and glory. And we ask now that you continue to strengthen David's body, that he can be back to his old self, which would be great. And even a new self, really, Lord, as your Holy Spirit has done a miracle in them. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you both. Yeah, stay in touch with them. Um, the kids are free to head down the hall now for Sunday school. And uh, Gabe is here, so middle school, high school. That was truly exciting. I <laughs> very, very touched. Yeah, Jenny says he's my Lazarus. Yeah, very touching. Good to see you here. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans. We come to one of my go-to chapters, Romans 5, 1 through 11. It's tremendous. Romans 5 has so many significant verses that I, in pastoral ministry, have used over and over and over, not only for myself personally, because it all starts with you, right, and with me, our individual response, but it also proves very useful in sharing the assurance of our salvation with the community around us and ourselves as well. And that's why I titled the sermon, Rejoice. We have an assurance policy here. Great words of comfort. And so I want to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to your word with every expectation in our hearts that this is not just merely informational stuff, although it's there. Lord God, we pray that these words that Paul wrote to the congregation in Rome and intended for us to read today, Lord God, that these powerful words will be moved by your Holy Spirit to penetrate any walls that we have or any presumptions we have or any misunderstandings we have, that we could have the assurance, full measure, in each and every one of us that we are saved by your grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. God, to you be the glory. May these words ring true in all of our hearts and be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, uh, having covered through four chapters of this letter, he's talked about faith. He's talked about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's talked about whether you're Jew or Gentile. Everybody needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's all in one encompassing. And sin, even sin, cannot thwart the saving grace of God to us in Christ. And now then he jumps to the next phase and he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though 
For a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow! I don't know if some of those verses hit you right between the eyes, but they always have me. There's powerful words here that just get right to the heart of the assurance of our salvation in Christ. Now, like you, probably, I'm, I'm speaking for all of us, but through a personal experience, sometimes you have moments of doubt, right? You wonder how this all plays out. You wonder where our salvation comes from. You wonder if we have to keep the ball rolling. It's like, well, I accepted Christ when I was five or six years old. Great. In that moment, God declared me reconciled and right with him. My sin's forgiven. Wonderful. Then a little later on, you know, life goes on. The older you get, the more you have in the rearview mirror, the more in the rearview mirror you wished you wouldn't see, right? And you start to wonder how that interacts with your salvation. Maybe I need to do better. Maybe I need to stand up straighter. Maybe I need to live a little bit more righteously and holy and all that in order to be saved. It's like sometimes you wonder, did Jesus just get the ball rolling and I have to keep it moving? That it depends upon me to keep it going? That if I fail somehow, Jesus' salvation stops too? You know what that is. I call it the Jesus plus plan. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Now, help me keep it going. I got to keep it going. Me, it's on me. That's what I call the Jesus plus plan. And if that's true, then there's no such thing as grace. Because grace is a free gift that you don't deserve. You just got to let that sink in. Isn't it interesting that when we're tempted to think about Jesus plus, and we're worried about keeping our salvation, which we couldn't achieve in the first place, it was a gift in the first place, then we run into issues with grace, but the Bible talks about grace all the time. The Bible talks about faith all the time. Sometimes our faith is up and down, but it doesn't depend upon the level of our faith. It all depends upon God who gives us that faith and salvation in Christ Jesus. It all goes back to God, the sovereignty of God, the choosing, the calling, the electing of God. These are words in the New Testament. So we can all go there very easily, but in Ephesians, when you look at the spiritual armor, the spiritual warfare, I find it very interesting that when we're tempted to believe that Jesus Christ and the grace of God is not enough, that really it depends upon us, it's interesting that Paul says that salvation is the helmet. It protects our brain, protects our thinking, protects our misperceptions or misunderstandings. The helmet of salvation. That is a very interesting choice to give to that piece of armor, isn't it? Our minds need to be renewed, as Paul will say in Romans chapter 12, regularly, because the world around us, universally, without Christ, believes you're saved by what you do 
or there's no salvation at all. You just die and you're done. Christianity is quite different. It's very unique. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ and Christ alone. That means our minds can get clouded with what the world brings up because that's what the world will do. It doesn't understand grace. But Paul very clearly says we're saved through faith. Look at, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that's how he starts. He takes it for granted that now that he's supported his position, he's made his claims, he's justified his claims, he's pointed to the Old Testament, it's consistent throughout Scripture, we're saved by an act of God, then what is it then that we can rejoice in? Where do we find our hope? How does this all play out? Well, let's look at the first, the second point. First, you got context. Now we're going to look at the second one, and that's this, peace with God. We really do have peace with God. We're not, at, we're not adversaries opposed to God or on the outs with God. We don't have to keep the ball rolling to stay in that God-centered circle of grace. This is an act of God. Even when we're ornery and cantankerous and sinning, even purposefully, Christ saves us always. Let's look at this. Verse 1, we have peace with God through what? Because we keep working well enough, we've been religious enough, we've been pious enough, we've been holy enough, we've been righteous enough. We kept the ball rolling. Is that what it says? Nope. We have peace with God through one and only means, and that is this, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It all goes back to the work of God. Everybody wants peace, right? You'd be kind of insane if you didn't want peace. Although there are some religions that believe that if the world is at war, then their savior, their messiah, their general, their world order leader will come back, and that would be in Iran, by the way, Shia Islam in some respects. But everybody generally wants peace. It's in the human heart. We, our hearts break when we think of the little girl in Hubbard that was, went missing last night about 6 o'clock, and they're still looking for that little girl. What happened to her? We want peace for the mother. We want to find that little girl, right? It's in the human heart. It hurts to hear this. We're grateful for David being here this morning. We wanted peace there where there was nothing but chaos and turmoil and craziness and doctors were stumped and, and all the decisions were being made and it was just crazy chaos. Now we see a measure of peace, praise the Lord, and it feels good. The word peace is an interesting one. You know, when someone dies, the general statement out there is, rest in peace. Apparently, they never had it prior to that, right? Uh, that seems to be what people imagine. In the 60s, with the Vietnam War, you know, it was all this, right? Peace, give peace a chance, still out there on some bumper stickers. Today, it probably means to most people, I don't want any more stress in my life. I want some peace, peace and quiet. I want to relax. That's usually what peace means today, I think. But in the New Testament, that's not what peace means. It's not the absence of stress or conflict. It's something different. Peace is this. It's, it's the same word as in the Hebrew, shalom. Shalom. Total well-being. In, in essence, it's like Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 all restored because without Jesus, there is no peace. Verse 10 says, we were God's enemies. Now, a lot of people say, I'm not opposed to God. I, I'm not an enemy of God. I'm on God's side. If God showed up right now, I'd be pleased. But in truth, their sins are not forgiven. 
and that's a treasonous sort of standing with God in that there's only one kingdom that rules and reigns forever, and that's God's kingdom. And the only way we can be at peace with God is not a truce, you go your way and I'll go mine, let's just be friends. It's I capitulate, I humbly confess that I have been in rebellion against you, my sins, and now I turn to you for grace and forgiveness that I don't deserve and that you long to give. That's my faith. And that's what it is. I just reach out and God provides. So what is the peace? Well, it's shalom. And only God can provide shalom. Irene in the Greek is the same thing as the Hebrew shalom. Whole well-being. And here's the most important part. Your peace with God is a constant. Again, it's the assurance that we have, our assurance policy. I'm not at war and I'm not an enemy of God at any moment, at any time, after I've come to faith in Jesus. I am now at peace with God. Even if I'm ornery and I tell God I'm a little bit upset with you today or for days or maybe I want to do what I want to do is to seek my own pleasures and I'm just going to do it and I know that God wouldn't want me to or I don't want to do something that God said I should do. Kind of like the old funny, it's a humorous song, Oh Lord, don't send me to Africa, it's full of lions and snakes. You know, that kind of thing. I want what I want. I want my security. I want my comfort. I want my pleasures. Well, do I trust God for these things or do I try and grasp them myself? And Rebecca's testimony was really good, wasn't it? God's got this. God's in charge. Think of all the people in the Bible that suffered and yet God saw them through and into eternal life. This is the gift of God. And so again, it goes back to God. So are you always at peace with God? From God's point of view, the answer is absolutely yes. You're never an enemy of God. He's not trying to beat you up, beat you down, and wipe you out. You're at peace with God. He disciplines those he loves, but never destructively. He wants to give you and convey and has life. So we're at peace with God, and that's an assurance so don't ever feel like you're on the outs with God, even if you feel that way sometimes. The truth is, by God's grace through faith in Christ, you are at peace. God has declared peace. That's a gift. Then thirdly, we stand in God's grace. We stand in God's grace. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, at first, when I read that, I thought he's talking about access. We have access to the Holy of Holies. We can come to God in our prayers. We have that relational opportunity where we can connect with God and pray and hear and receive God's response. That's not what Paul actually is getting at, although that's theologically, biblically true. I mean, what did Jesus say in John 14:6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? There's the access, the doorway, so to speak. We have access directly to God the Father as his children. But that's not Paul's point. This is a really good one, and we don't want to miss this. Here's what Paul is really saying. We stand in God's grace constantly. God's grace does not waver. God's free gift to us 
of forgiveness and eternal life is a constant. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, regardless of how we've behaved or thought or felt or neglected, we stand in God's grace. This is what he's saying. There's a, a hymn that we all know um, very well, The Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace, you know, and you hear the bagpipes and all that kind of stuff. Well, usually the people know the first verse, saved a wretch like me. In other words, I was a helpless, hopeless, godless sinner who was saved by Jesus. That's what Amazing Grace says. But the last verse maybe isn't quite as well known, but the words are really powerful because they echo what Paul just said. The last verse goes like this. "'Tis grace that hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." We live or stand or are immersed in grace, like a fish in water. This is where we live. And again, isn't that assuring us that we are always in God's grace, even on our worst day? That's good news. Did you pick up all the rejoices in this text? Rejoice, be glad, woohoo, wow, this is amazing, wow, God, you're incredible. Part of it is we have peace with God and we live in grace all the time, even if we're not feeling like it. This is a gift of God to us in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful gift. Then fourthly, we have the most exciting hope, the most exciting hope. And we rejoice in the hope of what? The glory of God. That's a great hope. Now, when we use the word hope, I think usually we mean wishful thinking or we have a longing. You know, I'd love to see this happen, and I hope so. Remember, how many of, our, how many of us usually say, I hope so? You know, Bruce, are you going to stay relatively healthy when your wife's got a cold? Well, I hope so. I wish for, I long for although I kind of suspect I've got a little something. Nancy, you may want to scoot over another few feet there. Um, you know, you just wish. I wish this. I want that. This is not what hope means, though, in the New Testament, by and large. In fact, almost always. Hope in the New Testament means a confident expectation. Our hope is not wishful thinking or a mere longing this is a real, guaranteed, certain, absolute, take-it-to-the-bank hope, without a doubt. That's what hope means here, because it's founded on what? On my behavior, on my responses, on me? No, the hope is rooted in only one thing, God's glory. Glory just means the full weight of God, the entirety of God. In other words, it goes right back to God. If we have hope, it's because God is God, and we're not, praise the Lord. Good thing. That's why caskets have keys that unlock them on the outside. That's why burial suits have no pockets. There's all kinds of symbolism in all that stuff, because we're utterly reliant on God. And this is the gift of God that we have, is eternal life, already and that's our sure hope. 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, in his great mercy, he's given us what? New birth into what? A living hope. 
through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Who keeps it and where is it kept? Can we keep it or does God keep it? Is it the hope in Christ Jesus or is it hope in Christ Jesus and our performance? And again, we're back to the Jesus Plus plan. That's a dangerous place to go because, again, it wipes out grace completely. Just cut out every word about grace in your Bible if we're not saved by an act of God and God alone. Won't work. It is or it isn't. And so Paul reinforces that and says, in his words, by the glory of God, we have hope. And it's a gift of God that he's given us. So when I rejoice in my hope, you know what's really important for us to rejoice is that the world sees something really weird. Really weird. Rebecca's testimony is, in the eyes of much of the world, really weird. How could she have peace? When David, for all intents and purposes, you look deader than a doornail. Not even your pupils reacted to light. That was scary. But God was present, and Rebecca knew it. And by the grace of God, not only was David saved and guaranteed eternal life, but God has given him another life, in a sense, a rebreathed life, breath in the nostrils, as the word would say. God is great, and God is good. God sees us through all of life. So did we have hope when David looked like he was in a hopeless condition? Yes, We kept praying, didn't we? And we applauded what God did. Wow, God, you are amazing. That's how it goes. Knowing God is the source of our hope. I know a lot of people have hope in hospice at the end of their lives. A lot of people put their hope in doctors. And those are wonderful instruments, or can be, or not, depending upon how the people are applying it. But ultimately, where is our hope? It's in God alone. And even if we're feeling hopeless, isn't it the glory of God that keeps us moving? Isn't that the sure foundation that keeps us grounded through all of our feelings, through all of our circumstances? Isn't it about God? It's a relief. It's an assurance to know that even in all of our troubles, we can give glory to God and it's a witness to others. How in the world do you people do it, they might ask us. And we'll say, well, on our own, I couldn't. But with God and his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I stand in his peace and in hope and in his grace. It's all about God. It's a great testimony. Then fifth, we have cause to rejoice even if we suffer. Even if we suffer, there's cause for rejoicing. Three to five, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Remember, it's guaranteed, assured, because God has poured out his love, poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. 
It may come as no surprise to anybody that's been a Christian for any length of time that being a Christian is not a bubble protecting us from trouble. Stuff happens. In fact, some people come to faith in Jesus and things get worse because there is an adversary that doesn't want them to celebrate and rejoice in their salvation, wants to ruin them and sideline them as quickly as possible. And the older we get, the more troubles we've seen. Stuff happens. Bodies tend to not cooperate at times, tend to crop up with things we'd rather not have or deal with. But even in the midst of those sufferings, we have cause for celebration. Not celebrating suffering, that's not Genesis 1 and 2 or Revelation 21 and 22. That's not heaven. We don't rejoice because of the suffering. We rejoice in God through it. Because we know that when God sees us through these things, good results. And it's a gift from God in that sense. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, never miss that in me, relying on Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, sure, you'll have trouble. Guaranteed. But then he goes on to say, but take heart. Don't we need to take heart? Don't we need that? We need to take heart in Christ. I've overcome the world. That's taking the long view, isn't it? And then also Philippians, Paul wrote, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. The world doesn't see things through the lens of grace. They see things through works. Materialism, naturalism, some mysticism, whatever ism it is. It's really karma in its, all its various forms. What you do, you get results from. Grace is so unique and so different, so outstanding and so wonderful, that it is our assurance. There is no other assurance on the planet like this assurance of God's grace. Because it doesn't depend upon you and it doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon God and God alone. That is assuring. Because God does not change. And God loves us very much. It's a treasure that we have. So suffering doesn't change our standing with God. When things happen, we're not being rubbed out. We're not enemies of God. We haven't lost God's grace. He's with us all the way through. Suffering actually produces perseverance. Perseverance does produce increasingly God-like character. And then that character then, even more as time goes by, solidifies our faith, our hope in what Christ has done for us. What does perseverance do? Perseverance is like a test in class. Let's see how you're doing. Let's see how mature you are up to this point. It's a it's way God helps us see ourselves and our maturity and how we can grow more and more richly and more deeply with Christ. Perseverance. It's a test and it takes time. The longer we're a believer in Christ, the more perseverance we've experienced in our lives. Right? It's inevitable. And the more we grow. I've grown a lot. Have you? I'll bet you have. It just takes time. What is the result? Well, we get more endurance, don't we? We have more patience. I learn from others in their trauma, how to face my own, 
Rebecca's testimony is an example for us of how you can experience God's peace even in the most trying circumstances. When David was in a coma, what was David doing in the belly of the whale for three days? Praying. These are great testaments to us. How do we persevere? And then how does that impact our character? Our character is the nature, the image of God that he intends for our lives, and we grow through persevering through difficult times and suffering, and we see that God is there with us, and we give God praise and glory, and we're not always happy in the midst of it, but we know that God is going to see us through. We had dinner with Tim Dale the other night, Friday, had a nice uh, German meal on Cinco de Mayo. Don't ask me why we did that. And, and it's what Germans do. They always eat German food. And we had a wonderful visit. And in the midst of that visit, reflecting on the fact that Tim only had one vacation in six years, taking care of Deb and her health, when she passed away, he said, I could see God's grace for her at the end. Because pancreatic cancer can be very, very uncomfortable and painful and she was well taken care of and really didn't have any pain until like the last day and then the medications helped cover that and he saw God's grace, God's hand in all of it. And I thought, wow, that's perseverance. That's character development in him. Is he happy to have been through that? Ha, <laughs> you kidding me? It stinks. It's crummy. Wouldn't wish that on anybody. But through it all, God is there, and he sees God's hand at work, even in that awful outcome when she died. He misses her, but he knows that God's got her with him, and he knows that God's got him. This is persevering. This is what character develops when you trust God through all these ups and downs in life. And it's a gift from God. There's an old saying, God is more interested in my character than my circumstances. I don't like that saying. God is more interested in my character than my circumstances. Well, Lord, I'm really more interested in my circumstances. Character can kind of come along as it wishes, you know. Getting older, what, is no option, but maturity is, right? So God says, no, I want you to mature. I want you, as the time goes by, to develop to grow, to learn, to experience. That's how toddlers learn to walk. That's how they learn to talk. Mistakes are made, but they grow and mature, and their character develops. This is all part of what God says for us spiritually. It's going to take time, but it'll grow, and your character will grow with it. You can trust God for this. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This is experience talking, isn't it? I can look back over times of testing and I see God's hand at work in me. I had times in missions overseas in Germany where I think God grew my roots in Jesus much more deeply and richly and more, I could say, in a healthier way with a real concrete sense of assurance and I needed that. God's at work. Thank God for that. And as time goes by, character develops because we see God more clearly as we experience all these things. Then lastly, he says, with the development of character, our hope will only grow. 
more profound and more rich and deep, regardless of the trials. We know where we're going. Do you know where we're going? Do you know where you're headed? Where's the final outcome? What's the long view? The other day, Mom was talking. Uh, Mom turns 93, 630, 30. Praise the Lord. It's exciting. We're looking forward to the party. And in this sense, I think it was Karen or somebody was saying, Mom, what, what do you want? And Mom's reply was, I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that, that she doesn't want to have a birthday. It doesn't mean she's in a hurry. It just means that if there's a longing, a desire, a hope fulfilled, that would be the gift that would be the most precious. But that's up to God, isn't it? The timing is there. The circumstances are there. All of this is God's hand at work, but ultimately, what would be the most treasured longing in a Christian's heart? When the time comes, I want to be with my maker. I want to be with my Jesus. I want to have that love of God that wipes out all the sin and death and suffering and sorrow. All that stuff will be removed. He'll blot away every tear from our eyes. Wow, how wonderful and amazing that will be. That is hope realized. And it's guaranteed by God through God's grace. Isn't that neat? It's just wonderful. It's assurance that the Bible reaffirms in our hearts. So when the people in the world see how we suffer, then they take notice. When Deb Dale was suffering with pancreatic cancer and the doctors were saying, why don't you just give up and die? It's a fatal condition. Just let it go. Deb says, my Jesus is bigger than that. She had a witness. She had a testimony. At work, Tim Dale was able, he said he was given a, a space, you could say. Everybody knew that Deb was dying, and so Tim would talk about Jesus at work, and nobody was going to shut him down. He had this window of opportunity that in the midst of suffering, he could express hope in a way that otherwise he couldn't. When we live in hope, in our circumstances, the world notices, and that's our opportunity to show the world the difference that Jesus does make in our lives. Do we grieve? Do we cry? Do we hurt? Yes, we do, but not without hope, and that's what the world lacks, guaranteed assurance of real hope, and we need to show them that. Uh, somebody once said, I've never died before, but I want to die. I want to do it right, and I hope and pray that if the day comes when I have, if I'm given that luxury of time and space to be able to talk to my kids, I want to show them and my grandkids and who knows, maybe great-grandkids someday, I want to show them how you do it in hope, with confidence. I might be hurting. I might be grumpy. <laughs> grumpy Grandpa was one of my nicknames already. I might be grouchy. I might be grumpy, I might be low on energy, but you know what I want to really convey? I'm going home to be with Jesus by God's grace, and it's going to be all right. Now give me some more morphine, because I'm hurting like crazy. I don't know what I'm going to say. But ultimately, I want them to see the hope that I have. If that's my last testament, then that's the one I want to have. I want them to say, boy, Grandpa, there was something different about the way Grandpa went. And I'm not going to wait till the end to do it. I want them to see it right now. When my son-in-law married Karen, he asked me for her hand in marriage. And I said to him, okay, 
You're a wonderful young man. I, you're, you're warm, you're friendly, you're affectionate, you really care for Karen, you get her, you understand her. Wonderful, but I want to ask you one thing. I want the freedom to be authentic as a Christian. And I set the tone that I want to live a life of hope and not abdicate my faith just to get along. And you know what he said? Absolutely. And ever since that opening salvo, I guess you could say, or invitation, we'll even be at a restaurant and they'll stop and we'll say grace because we have freedom. And I'm praying that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, the grace of God, not the works of the world, will be the way that they see Jesus eventually. And I keep praying for their salvation. I love them dearly. They're wonderful people. But they don't have the assurance of their salvation like we have here today. And I want them to know Jesus. Then sixth, rest assured, God loves us in Christ. You are loved. You are never unloved. In fact, God's love is so amazing, he even loves people that don't love him. God loves people that are ungodly, even, because we all were before we came to faith in Jesus, as God would see us. Let's look at what Paul writes. You see, he says, at just the right time. You might wonder, well, why didn't he do it in Abraham's day or Moses' day or David's day or some other time frame? But the Bible says God knows what God is doing. It's called salvation history. And in that course of saving history, God chose the perfect time and the means to satisfy his justice and give us grace and mercy. And that applied to all the believers beforehand and all the believers afterwards. It's like a lighthouse with a light shining both back and forward. That's Jesus. Here's what he writes. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, you want to underline that word? Powerless. Christ died for the, here's another word to underline, ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own agape love that's the Greek, for us in this. While we were, here's another word, still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, what words? Powerlessness, we're still sinners, and we're ungodly. And that's when Jesus died on the cross for us. It doesn't say that we got our act together, that society improved, that we prayed like crazy, we got on our knees, we begged. There's no works or achievements here. In fact, it's, an, it's an, a very grim circumstance, our nature, our sin nature. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The world is the world opposed to God. That's the nature of everybody until the Holy Spirit moves and births in us a living spirit alive to God. That's also from God and an act of God. Faith is just reaching out our hands to receive what God provides. That's a gift. So we're not ever too sinful to be saved, and we can't be too sin sinful to be unsaved. If we weren't worthy of being saved in the first place, why do we think that we have to stay worthy to remain saved? 
You can't get worse than before it started. That's ungodly, constantly in a sinful enemy state with God. And then we're saved, and all these other attributes come into play. And he says how wonderful it is to know God's love is constant for us. And he exercises that through the cross. So if we ever feel like we're on the outs of God or we've lost our salvation, remember this, grace is grace or it's not. Grace is a constant or it's not. What does the Bible say? Grace is grace and grace is constant and that's an act of God for us through Christ. And we can camp on that with assurance. So what conditions did God find? Well, we're powerless, we're, helpful, we're helpless sinners doomed to die. We're ungodly, we're irreverent, we're self-centered, we're opposed to God, and everyone, we're still sinners. So look at that. How are we saved? Not by ourselves, not by our value to ourselves or our works or our merit. God doesn't owe us anything, but by God's grace, he made us right through Christ Jesus our Lord, made us right with him. The objective truth of that is the cross of Jesus Christ, and at the right time, Christ died for us. The word time here is not chronos, like chronological. I'm looking at the clock up there. You're looking at your own whatever. This is chronology. This is a sequence of time as we know it. Kairos emphasizes God time. When God decided, it didn't matter if it was a.m. or p.m., Pacific Standard Time or not, God said, now's the time. And that's kairos time, God time. God knows what God is doing. And Paul backs that up with an analogy about how wonderful, loving grace is. He says, for a righteous man, well, maybe you're likely to die. Maybe, maybe not. You respect them. The difference between a righteous man and a good man, I never understood it. I always kind of generalized it. Well, you know, it's a nice guy, and that's another nice guy, and maybe I would die for them. There is a difference. For a righteous man, that's a person you really respect, but you don't necessarily love them. It's someone you really respect, but you're a little less likely to die for someone you really respect. But a good person is someone that you inherently love. There's a relationship here with them. It's like a parent for their child. You know when you have kids that you're going to go way beyond the extra mile that you give your life for them. A good person is someone you relate to. This is the good person. And then, Paul says, for that kind of person, you might dare to die. Sure. But here's the thing. There were no righteous people, and there were no good people. But God still died for those people. Wow, what a contrast. That's what Paul is saying. God is incredible. And since Christ died and saved us when we were still sinners, then why do we think that our sin can put us on the outs with God? Grace, right? This is a message of assurance. This is why there's so much joy. That's why we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we are who we are in Christ Jesus. And God is God. And we've received God's grace. Praise God. Boast, brag, talk about God. It's a wonderful gift. Then lastly, God's work through Christ is our hope. Since we've now been justified by his blood, his death, 
how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled or made right with God, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. When we became believers in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all of our sins were forgiven, like in a courtroom, where the judge says, not guilty. In our Fifth Amendment in our Constitution, there's a clause about double jeopardy. Anybody know what that is? Double jeopardy means that if you've been tried and found innocent of a crime, you cannot be tried for the same crime. That, that would be double jeopardy. One and done. I find the same thing is true with our salvation. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit births a living spirit in you, you know that you're saved through faith in Jesus and that the grace of God is at work in your life, right? You know that deep down. At that moment, all your sins are forgiven. So when we stand before God on Judgment Day, are we going to be tried all over again? The trial was back there. Judgment Day is a whole different circumstance. This is where we're vindicated. You are free. You are not even... An insinuation can happen. You're that liberated from sin and its consequences in that moment. You are made right with God at that moment. Now, we all know our lives are a process. We're patiently moving along. That's called sanctification, but that's different than salvation. That happens the moment you believe. And that's assuring us that when we face God someday, there's no double jeopardy. We will not be tried all over again. The trial happened here. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, God. That's why I, th I kind of wonder, where do the tears come from when he blots them from our eyes? I kind of wonder if it's not that when I see God face to face, I won't remember my life. <laughs> I probably will, right? And I'll remember, oh, that, wasn't sh that felt far short of the glory of God. And I think maybe that's where the tears come from. And God says, nope, no tears here. No tears, no tears. Everything's right. All good. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. That's because at that moment we were saved. That's good news. It's assurance because it's God, not on us. The result is God has reconciled us to himself. That's like the ledger has been wiped clean and only the positives remain that we are right with God. When... when um, he began the book of Romans. He really centrally focused on a couple of verses, but the most important here for this is verse 16 in chapter 1. It says this, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God, not his. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It's the power of God, not ourselves. I want to close with this word before we come to communion this morning. One of my other favorite passages, and by the way, the first, for the first one I was mentioning I really enjoy, one of my favorites is you see at just the right time, Christ died for us. 
the ungodly people. I love that. I feel ungodly at times. Do you feel ungodly at times? I do. That's that sin piece. But I also know that I'm assured of my salvation. That's a wonderful rejoicing. Never let that loose. Always give praise to God. But look at these words at the end. Romans 8, so great. Um, Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8 are bookends. We'll discover that chapter 6 and 7 deal with sin in our lives and the concern that people have that the sin in our lives can impact their salvation. And Paul comes back and says, no, because it's God's grace. Hear these words as he hits us with the other bookend. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's like Jesus' words, in this world you're going to have trouble. Then it goes on to say this, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Does it say on our own? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, Guillaume Beret included, right, can separate us from the love of God that is in what? Christ Jesus our Lord. Rejoice! You have the assurance of your salvation. It's all from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are oftentimes being Americans and culturally raised here and taught and experienced the general culture around us. Lord God, we know that we do trust in works a lot. We get evaluated on school tests. We get evaluated on reviews at work. We get evaluated by our family members informally, but still. We get evaluated, Lord, in a hundred different ways, really. But God, we thank you that when we come to you, when we come to eternal life, when we come to salvation, we know that it isn't an evaluation of our worth because, Lord God, you told us that we were ungodly, constantly in a state of sin, enemies of yours. And, let, and yet, Lord God, as powerless as we were, stuck in the darkness and sin, that, Lord, you loved the world. And you gave us a great gift, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and rose from the grave, guaranteeing eternal life and the effectiveness of that cross. That death itself is gone now and buried in the grave with our sins. That we have life, even if the body gives up, we know where we're going. And that's a great assurance for us and what's to come. Thank you, Lord for your grace. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. And as we come to your table, now I want to pause and let each one of us talk with you, Lord, hear your voice or speak to you what's in our hearts this morning.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Help us, Lord God, to show the world around us what it means to know and love you and to be loved by you, to have your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. May they see something they cannot understand because the world could never give them peace, but you do. May those that we think of this morning, too, find faith in Jesus Christ who don't yet believe. May they find the assurance of their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in the upper room on that Passover, he took bread, and in the midst of the meal, he thanked God for this, what it means, and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. He is giving his life that we could live, right? And in the same way, he took a cup, and this is very instrumental in our lives. He takes this cup, and he said, this is a new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. The new covenant is the only covenant in the entire Bible, of which there are seven. It's the only one that guarantees salvation. And that's all through the work of Jesus on our behalf. That's why he says this is a new covenant. Jesus made those terms. Jesus established those terms. And Jesus keeps those terms. And we're just wonderful recipients of his grace. The table is open to everybody to come. It's Jesus that invites us. It's to understand what's happening here if you're not sure. This is a, like a meal with Jesus. It's a precursor of the heavenly banquet, you could say. And as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're celebrating in a meal with family and with Jesus. And this is a precursor of the great banquet to come. Everybody's invited to enjoy the table of the Lord. We've got a little gluten-free. I don't think there will be any gluten-free in heaven, by the way. I believe it will be a rustic bread with heavy, thick crust we can really chew on, right? That's my, that's my dream. That's, that's a wishful thinking and a longing and an American hope. Um, but nevertheless, there's some gluten-free or as close as we can get it here for those that need it. Uh, you just come down the center aisle in two lines and then go to the sides and take the bread and then eat it and then take the cup and drink it. And then there's receptacles on the end there. This is a meal time. Rejoice the assurance of your salvation, eternal life by God's grace. Come as you're ready, come.
rejoicing him in it. That's our life in Christ. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father, wow, assurance. The sacrificial grace of Jesus Christ, wow, assurance. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit living in you now, wow, assurance. Be with you all and forevermore. And all of God's people could rejoice and say, Amen. Praise God. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Enjoy each other's company. So good to see you here. God bless you.